in Romans chapter 3, in Romans chapter 3, and we read through verse 8 last time. And so in Romans chapter 1, we, he, he started going after the, what he called the barbarian or the uneducated Gentile. And, and, uh, he showed how they were condemned because they did not respond to the truth that was revealed to them through nature, just the natural law. And then, then, uh, uh, then in chapter 2, chapter 2 verse 1 through chapter 2 verse 16, he went after the educated Greek or Gentile, the non-Jew, and he talked about how they were condemned because they did not respond to the conscience where God put it within their conscience, that which was right and wrong, right and wrong, and they did not respond, and also they were judgmental toward the barbarian, toward the uneducated, and they were condemned. And then chapter 2, 17 verse, through chapter 3, verse 8, he went right at the Jew. And he said they were condemned based on the law. The law itself showed that they were not walking properly. And so now we're going to pick it up at verse 9. He says, so this is chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for, for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Okay, so in verse 9, he says, okay, now what's the summary of this? What do we got here? We've got here, everybody is condemned. There's, there's, there's no hope. For the, for the Gentile, for the Jew, there's no hope for anyone. He says, what then? Are we better than they? He's speaking to the Jew. He says, are we better than anybody else? He's speaking to the Jew. He says, are we better than the Gentiles? He says, not at all. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Everybody is condemned. Now, if you think you're pretty good, you probably haven't been here the last few weeks. So you can see how how Paul just just shredded all of us, just, just took us apart. And he's not done. He's not done. And what he does is now he starts quoting from the Old Testament. Now this means a lot to the Jews. If you were to speak to a Jewish person today who wasn't secular, who didn't grow up, grow up like I did, that, that had very little understanding of the Word of God, if you were to speak to somebody who came from a, a religious Jewish home or an Orthodox Jew and you start quoting their scriptures, there's a lot of respect for this. There's a lot of respect. That is a, a, uh, a it's a, it's a very detailed faith and it's a very serious faith and they take it very seriously. And he starts quoting from the Old Testament. But if you were to compare the words here with some of the verses that he quotes from, there might be a verse in the Old Testament that might be three lines. He might choose one line out of those three and then he merges it with others. And so this portion, this verses 10 through, 9, 10 through 18, this is actually seven different passages from the Old Testament. 
So it's seven different passages. And in fact, verses 10, 11, and 12 come from Psalm 14, 1 through 3. And it's also duplicated in Psalm 53, 1 through 3. So Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 start out exactly the same way. Now remember, you say, well, it's not the exact words as I see in my Bible. But remember what they're doing. So if you were to read... Um, if you were, if you were to read the, the Old Testament, we are reading it in English. That was originally in Hebrew. So it was translated from Hebrew into English for our Old Testament. He, Paul is referring to the Old Testament, which he's read in Hebrew, and now he is translating it into Greek for them. And then that Greek was then written down. And then that Greek was translated into English. So you have Hebrew to Greek to English, and then on the other side you have Hebrew to English. So imagine all of those changes. So you're going to get little word changes, but the meaning actually does not change at all. It is amazing how precise the meaning is, even though it's been translated through multiple languages by the time it gets to us, because the Bible was not written in King James English. If, if you didn't know that, you know, so, so, so it comes to us through multiple translations, but the sense is all the same. But look what he starts out in verse 10. He says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none righteous. Do you know what none means? It's like zero. There is nobody righteous. And lest you don't understand what I'm talking about, you say, well, you know, he's speaking in generalities. He says, not even one. There's none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. He says, even our understanding. Remember, we are trying to take the things of God. God is way, way above us. Remember, His ways are higher than our ways. His understanding is beyond our understanding. Way beyond our understanding. He says, there's none who understands. If we think we grasp these things in ourselves, we're clearly lost. He says, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. All. There's none who seeks to God, seeks God. All have turned aside. Together, they've become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. This is, this is talking about the universality of sin. And what he says is, I'm not teaching you a new concept. He says, I'm not teaching you any new concept here. There's nothing new about this. This is from the Old Testament. He goes right back to the Old Testament to all the Jews in Rome who are seeing this because he's just slammed the Jews. He, he's, he's reading from their own scriptures. He says, I'm not teaching you anything new. He says, your own scriptures testify of this. He says, we're all lost. Not even one of us is clear on this. And he says that uh, uh, we've become useless. I'll tell you, without God in your life, you're useless for the kingdom of God. You're useless for the kingdom of God without God in your life. The only way, the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. He is the best in every way. If there's anything good, anything righteous, anything holy, anything worthy of following, it's Jesus. Jesus is the best in every way. Jesus is the focal point for believers. What God has done is He has made the focal point of the universe upon His Son. We cannot glorify Him enough. We cannot thank Him enough. Everything is through the prism of Jesus Christ. And His mercy comes right back to us through the prism of Jesus Christ. If it didn't, we would all be lost. It's all because of Jesus. 
And he says, he says, there's, there's no one who does good. There's not even one. And then, so this is the universality of sin. He says, everybody's under sin. And then he gets into what, what's often referred to as radical corruption. So, so, uh, this whole idea that everybody is corrupted. And he is going to start picking at us and exposing us. And I want you to reflect not on the way we show ourselves at church on Sunday. I want you to reflect the way that only you know you are. I want you to think about that. All the times you have these wicked thoughts that you would dare not voice, because if you voice them, you'd have no friends. Your, 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 your marriage would be lost. Your children would, would leave and, and they'd have nothing to do with you. I want you to think about that part of you. That's the you that, that he's exposing to us. He says, their throat is an open grave. I want you to think about that. What's an open grave? I mean, it's, there's dead bodies in there and it's open. Um, there's a lot of stink there. He says, their throat is an open grave. The stuff that comes out from our mouths when we are all alone, that it's just a whisper. He says, this is what I'm getting at. He says, you want to know what we're dealing with here? This is the radical corruption. He says, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. So then what comes out is deception. And this is what we talked about over the last few weeks. If we were to voice, if people could read a transcript of our thoughts, I mean, it'd be just like, is this what you, what you thought of me? But no, 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 no. With our lips, we just keep deceiving. So, so with our tongues, we, we, there's this constant deception that comes out versus what's within. What he's doing is he's revealing to us what's within. This is what he's saying. I want you to think about who you really are. The deception is what comes out. Oh, how are you today? So good to see you. I am so happy to see you. You deceived again. You deceived with your lips. You weren't happy to see them. <laughs> and uh, there, there's, there's this stuff that comes out. He says, your lips are deceptive. Then he says, the poison of asps is under their lips. So what's behind the lips is venom. What's behind the lips is like snake venom. It's what didn't come out. This is what we're dealing with. Because we have a tendency to think that we're kind of okay. And he's saying you're not. He says there's not even one, not even close, nothing. This is radical corruption. Everybody, everybody struggles with this. Everybody. And the amazing thing about coming to Jesus is he begins to reveal ourselves to us. He begins to reveal ourselves to us. The unbeliever doesn't struggle with this thing very often. They don't struggle with this duality that, you know, I'm like this inside and I'm I'm very different outside. The unbeliever doesn't struggle with this. This he begins to reveal to us as believers. You will see struggles now in this book, in the book of Romans, that unbelievers don't even know what you're talking about. 
but it's when you come to God that there's this spotlight that comes on. When we compare our lives to the beautiful life of Jesus, it's like, ah. And Jesus is constantly trying to conform us into his image. And he works with us tenderly. It's like, like we're, we're walking on this knife's edge. This knife's edge. And what happens is, when we, we start feeling too lowly and, and too down, Jesus comes and, and he just lifts us up straight. And then we start feeling too full of ourselves and too prideful, and we start going down this way. And Jesus exposes this to us. And then he, he sets us upright again. This is what he does. This is the way he does it. And then he says, he says uh, uh, in verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. The mouth is full of it. Cursing and bitterness. I want you to think about the things we say under our breath. This is who we are. This is the disgusting thing. He is driving home. There is nobody who's worthy. And I'm not, what I'm teaching you is not new, Paul says. This is in your own scriptures. This is in the Old Testament. This was written long ago. So he's quoting mostly from the book of Psalms as well as the book of Isaiah here. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. If you look at our lives without Christ, destruction and misery is within our paths. And the path of peace they have not known. It is so hard to establish a path of peace in our lives. Without Jesus. Without Jesus, it is so hard to have peace. And everybody wants to have peace. Believer, unbeliever, everybody wants to have peace. I've never known anybody to wake up in the morning and say, I hope I have a miserable day. I hope this day is just, I hope I, you know, I get in a car accident. I hope I break my leg today. I hope today is just a terrible day. No, everybody wants peace in their life. He says, the path of peace You don't know it. You can't know in your life. You cannot know the path of peace. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So that's what he concludes with. There's no fear of God before their eyes. There's no fear of God. This whole concept of the fear of God, I want to reflect on this a little bit. This whole concept of the fear of God, because he is going to start taking us into this whole realm of faith. That it's not based on works, but it's based on faith. If something is based on faith, you've got to have the fear of God. You've got to have this fear of God if something is based upon faith. I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 3 for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. Paul writes, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, For I betrothed you to one husband, and that is Christ, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. For I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He says, I'm afraid that your minds are being led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. There is a wholesomeness in a simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. We can get so theological and deep questions, and there's nothing wrong with that if you're a student of theology. 
But there's something wrong with that if your mind is only there. If your mind is only on the apologetics arguments. If your mind is only there. He says, I don't want you to miss this. He says, he says, uh, um, that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Everything is around Jesus. Jesus is our focal point. Jesus is our rescue. Jesus is our hope. It's all based on Jesus. Jesus is our hope. In Him is everything good. Now I want to bring us back to this concept of the fear of God. The fear of God. Um, there are things that I will not do in my life because I fear God. Because I fear God. Jesus said, To whom much is given, much is expected. He has given me so much in my life. He has done so much for me. The things that would come upon me if I did the things that some other people did, I mean, there would be such conviction fall upon me because He expects more of me. He expects more of us than He does of the unbeliever. The expectations upon us are much higher. We can't do what the world does and get away with it. And I want to, I want to just look at a few verses that just, just nail this thing home. Proverbs 6.26. We're going to spend some time in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 6.26. For an account of a harlot... One is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. For an account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. If we think that we can mess around in the sexual realm like the world does, and it has no ramifications in our life, we are greatly mistaken. For an account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. Your power will be gone. Spiritual power leaves. God said this. For an account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. And if you think, well, I'm not married, so this doesn't... No, he says, for an account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. What the world does, we cannot do and get away with it. There must be a fear of God. He summarizes this whole passage about how wicked we are. And he says it's fundamentally this. Because there is no fear of God. On account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. You are precious to God. And there is a hunt for you. There, is, there are lions on the prowl for you. The Bible characterizes Satan this way, that he is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. So I ask you this, if there were a report that some lions had gotten loose in your neighborhood, would you just go walking outside like, no problem, I can handle that? No, you'd be like... I'm not sure I want to go out there. You'd be looking around, and every time you hear even just a little rustle in the leaves, you'd be like, huh. This is how God characterizes Satan for us. This is how he's characterized for us. He says, the adulterous hunt for the precious life. You are precious to God. There is a hunt for your life. 
In verse Proverbs chapter 6, verse 29, it says this. Proverbs 6, 29. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. If you touch your neighbor's wife, you will not go unpunished. Happens all the time in the world. Well, they undergo great destruction in their marriages and in their lives and their families as a result of it. Happens in the church. The outcome is even worse because from whom much is given, to whom much is given, much is expected. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. May the fear of God come into our lives. You cannot touch. You just touch her. You just touch her. Touch her. You're not going to go unpunished. Let the fear of God come upon you. Let the fear of God come upon you to protect your marriages, to protect your relationships. Let the fear of God come upon you. Proverbs 22 verse 14 says this. Proverbs 22 verse 14 says, The mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. Whoever is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. I don't want to be cursed by God. I don't want to be cursed by God. I want to wake up in the morning and know that my God is right there at my side and He is looking forward to me coming before Him and spending time before Him in the Word of God in prayer. I want Him, I want to know that He enjoys seeing me there. That I enjoy seeing him and he enjoys seeing me. It says, he who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. The mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. Gentlemen, how we must be careful. How we must be careful. There are going to be instances in your life where you will be placed in situations. Women, there will be instances in your life where you will be placed in situations. And I urge you to think about this. Think about what the Word of God has for us. The adulteress hunts for the precious life. People are seeking your life. Fear God. Fear God. You do this, you will not go unpunished. May the fear of God come. Proverbs 11, verse 1 and 2, talks about business. How are we going to deal in business? How are we going to deal with our lives? Proverbs 11, verse 1 and 2, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. A false balance. This is talking about weighing things on scales. You come to the marketplace and they put the thing... Well, He wants to make sure you're weighing this thing out right. He wants to make sure you're honest in your dealings. I've told my students many times, be honest in this stuff. Be honest in your report of your work, in your report of your reactions. Report what the yield is. You don't have to boost it up. What the yield is, report it. Be honest in your dealings. Be honest with your taxes. You think, well, everybody cheats on their income tax. No, everybody doesn't cheat. Not everybody does cheat. I remember when I was a boy, I was, my mom was, my mom used to do the income tax in our family, and I said, I heard everybody cheats on their income tax. She said, I don't. She said, I don't. She was not a believer, not a Christian, just a Jewish woman. She said, I don't. From that day, it stuck with me. And I tell my accountant now, I say, if there's any question, just, just, just pay it. I, I, don't, I don't want anything to happen between me and my God. 
because if I cheat, my God sees it. This, I have been so blessed in my career because I wanted to walk uprightly. Software. I always bought proper software for my computers. And I have a lot of computers in my lab and I tell my students, look, if you put some software in it on our computers that we don't own and that's useful to your research, let me know, I will buy it. Yeah, it costs thousands and thousands of dollars, but I will buy it. I have been so blessed over the years by walking uprightly in my career. God blesses over and over and over again. And if you think, if you think everybody keeps music on their devices that they don't own, you're wrong. I don't. If I don't own it, I don't keep it there. If I'm not entitled to it, I don't keep it there. Why? Because I fear God. And I tell you, God has blessed my career. Early on in my career, I had one computer and, 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 and another computer, and I bought the right software for the right things, and I always walked in this, and God has always blessed my career. I urge you to fear God, to not walk as the world does. He says, fundamentally, the problem here, the problem here is there's no fear of God. That's the fundamental problem. All of this happens in the life because there is no fear of God. He says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You want to keep God happy about your life? Like he's like, hey, he's awake. Let's go spend some time with him. That's the way God's delighted in you. You walk uprightly in your life. You walk uprightly in your career. You walk uprightly and honestly. God will greet you in the morning with a big smile. You have a false balance and it is an abomination to the Lord. Be like, oh, he's awake. He's going to come before me and try to have a good time with me. It's hard to have a good time with him when he's cheating at work, when he's cheating his customers, when he's cheating his boss, when he's stealing from work. All of this shows up. Looking back at chapter 3, verse 18 of the book of Romans. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That um, uh, the problem here is there is no fear of God. And he's going to bring us into this whole thing about faith. This whole thing about faith. Let me Let me set the stage for this. Because it's by faith we're going to be justified through faith. Jesus pays the price for us. But the justification comes through faith. It's all based on faith. There's this subtleness of faith where there's a trust in a relationship. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, the scriptures say. There's this quiet confidence that God is for me. If I am walking in a way that is not upright... There's, it's like there's this barrier between me and God. And God didn't put up that barrier. I did. I did. I'm the one who put it up by my actions. He's going to have this whole thing is going to come by faith. Because people would much rather have it be by works. Because by works, you know, I'll, I'll work and I'll get this thing. And there is this constant concept that goes across all cultures that if kind of my good works outweighs my bad works, I'll kind of be okay with God. And the New Testament blows that to bits. It says there is no, not one righteous, not at all. They are together useless. 
Because he's perfect, you're not. And it's not by works that you're going to get this thing. And it's this quiet confidence that God is for me. You know, sometimes you, you see a person who has a great faith. And you wonder, how do they acquire all these blessings in their life? It's like they walk around and there's this like this glow over them. God is constantly blessing them. And there's this simplicity of faith that I believe. That I believe. God reduces it to faith. And this faith is qualified that comes through a fear of God that brings a quiet confidence. There's a quiet confidence that that comes through this. And this is what he's going to start to build. So let's look at verse 19. Chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So now he says, he says, here, here's what happens, is that we talked about all these privileges, all these, these blessings that came for being a Jew. There is not one blessing that comes to being a Jew that makes them any different when it comes to salvation. When it comes to salvation, we are all on equal ground. That is it. There is, there is, there is, uh, uh, it is clear that your Jewish privileges cannot save us from sin. Jewish privileges cannot save us from sin. It doesn't save from sin. And he says in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, when it says the law, it's speaking about the Mosaic law. It speaks to those who are under the law, the law, meaning the Jewish people, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Why is the whole world becoming accountable to God when the Jews can't keep the law? Remember, the world didn't have the law. The Jews did. It's because the Jews are a test case. They failed. The world failed. They were a test case showing that everyone is going to fail. The Jews were very diligent and they very diligently failed. And it was a test case. It exposed it to the world. In verse 20, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That law exposed it. That law exposed it because what it did is it showed us that there was this this exposing that occurred because of the law. That I was supposed to do this, I didn't do it. I was supposed to do that, I didn't do it. Did you know that there are some people that have tried to live under the law of Moses today? 100%. There are people that try to do that. Now, if you look at the 613 commandments, you could only live by about a third of them if you tried. Because two-thirds of them revolve around temple worship and sacrifice. And there is no temple right now. There's a mosque there. All right? If you look at uh, at where, where Israel is, there is no temple where you can do sacrifice. So even now you could only fulfill, if you tried, about a third of the 613 commandments. But try to live by those. There are there are YouTube videos of, of, of Jews that have tried to they, this, we're just going to try to live by this thing. And they would they would go so far as to carry their own little stool with them. Well, why do they carry their own stool? Because one of the commandments is you cannot sit in a seat where a woman who has sat who is in her menstrual cycle. Well, how can you know 
Whether that chair has been used in that way by a, a woman who was in that, in that time in her life. So he, they carry their own stool and, and, and around with them. I mean, they tried to that extent and it was, and it's just laughable. You see what they would have to go through. And so how do, how do Orthodox Jews live by this? Well, there's, there's lots of rabbinic exceptions. Because I challenged once an Orthodox Jew, we were sitting next to each other on an airplane, and I said to him, how can you sit in that seat? He says, what do you mean? I said, how can you sit in that seat? And I opened up to the Old Testament where it said that very thing, and he looked at it, and he goes, yeah, there's a problem. <laughs> you know, so, so it's really hard to live by that. And he shows that, that if you really want to try to live by this, you're exposed. And what he's going to do is he blows the whole thing open. Blows it open. So what he does is he exposes to us our sin. But I, what, what I want you to remember, he gets right at the inner person. Not what we do on the outside, he gets at the inner person. He says the, 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 um, the venom of asps is behind the lips. It didn't come out. It's behind the lips. It's all within. I want your focal point to be on Jesus. We're going to see in these next few verses, everything revolves around the work of Jesus. It's everything about what Jesus did. The whole thing is about what Jesus did. The whole thing. It's about Jesus. It's all about what he did. Jesus paves the way. I want you to love him more. I want you to honor him. You cannot honor him enough. You cannot love him enough. You cannot glorify him enough. It's never too much. God takes the whole thing and he packages it in Jesus. And it's all because of the work that Jesus did that we can even dare approach the Father. It's all because of Jesus and what he did. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. The work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you expose to us that there is no one righteous, not even one. And you expose to our hearts that is fundamentally because there's no fear of God. Father, I pray for the men in this class, the men online, that you would put a fear of God in them, that there'd be a fear of God. Father, that they would see that God sees everything. I pray, Lord, for the women in this class, that you'd put in them a fear of God and that it would be with this fear that there'd be a faith in God, that God delights, delights to see me in the morning, delights to have me come and spend time with him. Father, put in us a fear of God and a greater love for Jesus, that we would love Jesus so much that it's because of him and his goodness. Lord Jesus, you are the best in every way, and it's all because of you. Glory be to your name, O Lord. Glory be to the name of Jesus. Amen.